Hello, and welcome to the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. As always, I am your host, Alexander J. It's getting closer to the most wonderful time of the year. And no, that's not Christmas, it's the NBA postseason, and it's just around the corner. Today's episode, Yuri, Tom, Julian, and I, we talk about the final week of the NBA regular season, our teams of the year, we recap some inspired performances of the last week, and have a couple fun trivia segments as well. I really encourage you to play along to both. If you've got a second with your device while listening to my little intro, please consider clicking the download button for this show and leaving us a review on your podcast app. We've had listeners from France, India, Vietnam, the US, and Canada, and all over, and we really appreciate your time. As always, links to our panelists' content is in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy the show. Sweet. Well, what a last week in the NBA. There is just a couple days left, uh, and I'm joined with some great lads to talk about most of the NBA, but more so the last week, um, from the mean streets of Melbourne. He's a sports facility owner, and he's our fantasy team sicko. It's Julian Balthazar. How are you, mate? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me, lads. Next up, you may have heard him on 91.3 Sport FM or uh, DRN1 Sports Rap in Perth. It's our mini basketball encyclopedia, Yuri Bilsic. Yuri, what's going on, mate? Afternoon, Alex. Hope everything's going well. And, man, this has been one crazy ride. Yeah, well, everything's going well by the Cowboys losing last night, so we'll skip over that. And and last but not least, certainly, it's uh, Mr. Tom Dev from theraw.com. How are you, Tom? Doing great, Alex. Thanks for having me back. Oh, I'm glad you're all back. And as I said, massive year in the NBA. A big week with a lot of play-in stuff still up in the air. The Eastern Conference is mostly wrapped up. And when I say mostly, it's completely wrapped up. All of the seedings, I believe, are um, locked in as of day's play today. And all of our play-in teams as well. We've got a couple of things in the West uh, Western Conference still available. So I've got my standings at the top of the podcast so we can talk about where things are in the West. We've got Denver in number one, Memphis two, Sacramento and Phoenix are three and four, and they're not going anywhere. These are the next positions that are up for grabs. So we've got Golden State at five, the Clippers at six, the Lakers at seven, the Pelicans at eight, and the Timberwolves at nine can all move around in flux, and Oklahoma City have been locked into that 10th position. Boys, any comments on the West? The East, how's this last week been? What's going on? Yeah, it's been pretty hectic, hey, Alex, especially in the Western Conferences we've talked about for, you know, the last four shows. Every episode. And yeah, every episode, yes, for the last four. And since that, I was lucky enough to watch probably the final six minutes of the Bulls-Mavs game. And, of course, Chicago rested both Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And Luka Doncic only played 13 minutes for the Mavs. And that was really, really inquisitive as to why that did happen. And, unfortunately, they had to win today against the Bulls and, you know, bank on winning against San Antonio and hope that the Thunder lose. And unfortunately, they didn't do what they needed to do. And it's just a really disappointing way to end the season, considering at one point they were fourth in the Western Conference. They'll, well, the only two games over 500 when they made the trade for Kyrie Irving, I thought that could, you know, propel the Mavs to, you know, stay within fourth or fifth in the West. And unfortunately, we've, you know, harped a lot on the Mavs's, you know, defensive woes, especially, you know, being so undersized and, Unfortunately, again, it really came to bite them and it's just a really disappointing way for them to miss out the first time, I think, by memory in four years that they've missed out on the postseason altogether. So, again, not many words can describe what went down for the Mavs this season. 
Yeah, a bit of a perplexing situation for the Mavs. They didn't necessarily control their own destiny, but with two games left, they still could have got into the playing tournament and did choose to rest absolutely everybody bar Luka Doncic. I believe it was Slovenian night uh, tonight in Dallas, so they didn't want to rest him completely for that. Um, but that was a close game at the end of the fourth. Tom and Julian, I don't know if you caught that game today, um, but I think the Bulls stretched away on a 13-0 run late in the fourth like with three or four minutes remaining. It was quite a close game and they just refused to play Luca. Um, the thinking behind it is they owe a top 10 protected pick. I think I've got that right. So if they fall into the play in this year, they keep it. Tom, did you get a chance to watch that one or doing other things today? No, I had to give that one a miss, but I did see the final two Mavs possessions, which uh, Dubs had tank written all over them, that's for sure. <laughs> I think there was, in 12 seconds left, like three of the most woeful three-point shots you could draw up just went up. One hit, one was an air ball, one hit the side of the backboard. It was all over the place. Look, I wanted to be positive at the start of this podcast and talk about our teams of the year, and somehow I've gotten onto the Mavs-Chicago game today. So let's talk about our favourite teams of the year. And Julian, we'll start with you. A wonderful year this year. You can pick the reason. I don't care what criteria you use. Yeah. What's your team of the year? Yeah, well, that's exactly why I went with the Sacramento Kings, actually, who are yeah. becoming the fan favorites. Because, of course, whilst the Bucks and Sixers and Celtics have better win records, um, the Kings, if you consider where they were last year to where they are now, you can't argue with the results and um, the season they've had under the coaching of Mike Brown as well. Um, but just to put in perspective, the last time they made the playoffs, the iPhone wasn't even released. Yeah, uh, crazy. 2006 <laughs> was the last time they made the playoffs. And um, just I just think they've got it right in terms of their lineup. They got shooters around Sabonis and they started playing the game through him a lot more. He's got 14 triple-doubles this season. And he's just, I mean, you could make a case that he could be the MVP in some ways because he's just taken this could. from 12th last year to, to the, the third now, but they were sitting second for a lot of the year. And everything is just going through him. Like he's passing the ball, he's rebounding, shooting well. Of course, Fox... Um, Murray heard her com- compliment him quite a lot and Barnes does his thing as usual but also one thing I want to touch on was their durability as well and how much they back their starters Barnes has played 80 games Sabonis 76 Fox 72 I think Murray 76 and Herder around the 70 as well so if you consider a lot of the teams like they go through injuries and they rest players they don't play back-to-backs these kings have just done it game in game out and really who knows how far they'll go but really excited to see that they'll be in the playoffs and hopefully they can do a bit of damage they also wrapped up the Pacific Division title for the first time in 20 years as well. So I can't imagine what it's like to be a Kings fan. Um, years and years of torment and then the best meme on earth and, and a really fun <laughs> basketball team to watch as well. Tom, who's your team of the year? Same criteria. You can do whatever you want with it. I uh, kind of went down the obvious route, but I've gone with the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. Uh, 58 wins. Have they not locked up that number one seed? I have no doubt they probably would have got to 60 wins as well, but they have thrown a few games in the recent week. Uh, Giannis has missed time. Drew Middleton's uh, Drew Holiday's missed time. Middleton missed pretty much most of the start of the season with that knee. Came off the bench, then readjusted to become a starter. Still hasn't played back to backs. Uh, even Brooke, Lo- Brooke, Brooke Lopez has missed some time. They've had guys come in and out of the rotation. Uh, I mean, Pat Connaughton's not even really playing much this last week, which is a surprise because he was kind of integral to their playoff run last year. And they still won fifty eight games. They still look like the best team in the league. They've got the elite defense, and everyone's picking them to win the whole thing. Which, considering most teams use injuries as excuse to you know not live up to their hype, you have to say the Bucks have just worn it, you know, chip on their shoulder and carried on. Yeah, you kind of forget that they've got three Defensive Player of the Year candidates, or possibly even three All Defense First Team candidates there. And what is in my mind still the best player in the world in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I don't know if you're if you're going to agree with Tom. 
Is that your favorite team as well? I was going to go down that road, Alex, but I've decided to choose the Cleveland Cavaliers as ah, my pivot. team for the season. Yes, it just came to my head. And I thought from last season, they made such great inroads. For the majority of the season, they were sitting fifth or sixth in the East and basically the back part of the regular season, they tailed off and unfortunately found themselves in the playing tournament, lost to Brooklyn and, of course, lost to Atlanta at home. But this season, getting Donovan Mitchells, this has been talked about since the trade back in July, was you know such a major bonus for the team, considering defensively they've been great all season and last season too. That was the offense. And where was it going to come when the game was, you know say, a one or two possession game inside the final five minutes and they needed someone to go to? And he's been that man right from the outset. He's just... Absolutely torn it apart. And we know, of course, he did that in Utah, especially his rookie year, and especially that playoff series against OKC when he absolutely went ballistic in game six for those 38 points to eliminate OKC completely out of the playoffs. But what he's done for the Cavs this season, when they've needed him most, and we, we'll touch on a little bit later, his four consecutive 40-point games, but that Chicago Bulls game back on January 2, when I think at one point the Bulls had a 20-point lead at one stage, and... He literally just wiped the floor off the Bulls on route to a 71-point performance, which was just phenomenal considering the position the Cavs were in. And he's just, even for his size as well, Alex, he's listed as six foot one. I think before they had him listed six foot three, but his craftiness as well, especially that split dribble where he's able to get through a couple of defenders and hang in midair. It's so similar in a way to Bradley Bill, the Washington Wizards, a very identical play that the two possess. It is. So, that, that split yeah. move he's got almost becomes his signature move because you see it so often and he's got the ball in his hand uh, quite often in Cleveland. I don't know whether you thought they'd be a winning team this year or not because I've been very impressed with Cleveland. Um, how do you think they were going to fare this year, Yuri? Oh, I thought they were going to fare pretty well, Alex. I probably had them finishing around sixth or seventh in the East and I didn't know if they were going to exactly get to, you know, well, they're 51 and 30, get over 50 wins. But if they got around, say, 45, 46, that was always going to be a winning season. And considering when LeBron left in the summer of 2018, that they pretty much had to retool from scratch all over again. But at the same time, it wasn't as though they had their, you know, future assets of like in terms of first rounders were in the hands of other teams. So it made it, made it really easy for them to, you know, basically build up and, you know, draft, you know, very good quality players, including, you know, Darius Garland in the 2019 draft, yeah. I'm pretty sure was pick eight. And he's been phenomenal as well. Getting the J- Jared Allen as part of the James Harden deal with Houston and Brooklyn, that was a major one, especially with the interior presence that he provides. And Evan Mobley too, the fourth overall pick. Those two have been incredible. And, okay, there has been a little bit of talk about, you know, Mobley and whether he stretches the floor enough. But I think we've seen late in the season as well, he's starting to take a, a few more three-point attempts. And that's going to be, you know, really yeah. valuable for the Cavs if he can knock those down at the, you know, at you know regular basis. Yeah, be patient, Cavs fans. He's still quite young and there's a lot of work to be improved on in Cavs, right? Uh, in the Cavs land, sorry. In the Cavs land, in Cleveland. Um, <laughs> but they've been a very hunt team. Yuri, we might come back to you about the Cavs in a little bit, but I wanted to um, nominate the Grizzlies as my team of the year. Uh, everyone's kind of turned on the Grizzlies a little bit this year and for right reason because Dylan Brooks is a little instigator. Might be the nicest way we can put this on this podcast. Um, a 50-win season for them. They're 35-6 and six at home, which makes me think with the seeding they've got in the West in the playoffs, they can do some real damage over some teams. 
Um, they've got three players this month averaging 20 per game. I don't know if it's been like that all year, but obviously Ja Moran, we know the damage he can do. Desmond Bain, a very underrated man in terms of scoring. He always hits the over in my gambling parlays. Uh, and Jaron Jackson Jr. in the last month and a half has really excelled scoring the ball, particularly in the absence of Ja Morant. So the Grizzlies went on that bit of a streak without Ja due to suspension as well. Um, I went into the postseason last year thinking the Grizzlies could probably be steamrolled by any team. Um, I have quite the opposite feeling this year. I think the Grizzlies can really do some damage and I would struggle to think matchup wise where they could be defeated in the postseason if they're healthy. And that's with Stephen Adams back, who is still missing. Um, I can't remember if he had an MCL injury, if it was that MCL, but that's my uh, team of the year. They've surprised me quite a bit with their grittiness and their, I guess that experience they gained in the postseason last year as well. Um, Tom, we didn't say any of our favorite teams were Philly and Philly was my second backup behind the Pelicans. Cause I just want any excuse to talk about the Pelicans. Do you think that Philadelphia 76 is led by Joel Embiid, who should be the MVP this year? Can they do some damage in the postseason? I'm going to just straight up say, no, I Ooh. do not think that they are even close to the tier that the Bucks and Celtics are on. And I think the previous week has shown uh, for starters, Embiid has just notably not lived up to his regular season level in the playoffs. To be fair, I think every single postseason he's entered into, he has been carrying some form of an injury. So this year, first time he's actually looked pretty healthy going in. So might actually be a different sort of story, but can his health hold up? Uh, I mean, Harden, we don't, we don't have to go through his playoff resume. It's not great. Everyone sort of knows that. He's got a few good games here and there, but end of the day, nothing special. Uh, and really, I want to drill down to that Sixers Celtics game because I kept a close eye on that one. Uh, and, you know, obviously Tatum was still out there for the Celtics, but no Rob Williams, no Jalen Brown. They had guys like Luke Cornett, Blake Griffin, guard taking serious minutes to guard Embiid. And so Embiid did go off. But the biggest issue was Embiid wasn't on the floor. The Sixers absolutely crumbled. I mean, uh, notable NBA Twitter head uh, Rob Perez had a great tweet where uh, when Embiid got sub. Yeah, uh, at the end of the first quarter, the score was 28 to, 20, 28 to 22 in favor of the Sixers. When he came back in with six minutes, 42 seconds left in the second quarter, uh, the score was 35 to 34 to the Sixers. Then uh, when he came out at the start of the fourth quarter, it was 72 67 to the Sixers. And when he came back in with eight minutes, so he had to have a very short rest as well, it was 77 79 to the Celtics. Mm. And it was neck and neck all that way at the end of the quarter. And Embiid had to go the full distance, and they still only really won by two points. Should have been more. Yes, they did sort of choke away at the end. But, you know, can Embiid really do this in the playoffs? I mean, if they do make it out of that first round, which I think they should beat Brooklyn, if they manage to somehow beat the Celtics without home court advantage, they then have to go to the conference finals. We're, we're assuming Milwaukee will probably be waiting for them. They then have to play every other day. Can Embiid really be on a court for 40-plus minutes when he only gets one day rest between each game? Like, I seriously doubt it. And if he is, I don't think he's going to be able to live up to what he has been doing this postseason. Yeah, they're resting all their hopes on one man. And I, that's one of my questions I had because I watched that game as well. And, Tom, I don't know if you watched a lot of Philly games as well, but can you comment on what the heck is Tobias Harris doing at the moment? Because Nothing. He, yeah, he looks so lost out there. He just stands there like... He used to be so attacking and he's so efficient from the floor and averaging only 14 points, which, you know, it doesn't sound that bad. But honestly, when you watch him, you realize how lost he looks out there. And like, he, he literally just stands there waiting now and it just takes a shot every now and then. And I don't even know what his role is anymore. Tom, you can answer this question, but is it a Doc Rivers thing? 
Uh, I mean, it, it's a bit of Doc Rivers. It's also just a bit of the front office just completely fumbling it. I mean, in the yeah. words of Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris over me. Very famous I mean, words. <laughs> very famous words, which is kind of crazy. But $180 million contract, and to be fair, he's probably played up to about 10% of that. He really just shrunk in the role. Uh, and basically, the only reason he's there is because they had to keep someone from those trades only they made for Jimmy and Tobias Harris. And he's... He, He's probably the luckiest third man in the NBA because he's had Joel Embiid and he's had Ben Simmons who have taken all the flack for him in these postseasons. If not for Ben Simmons, that Atlanta series, he probably would have got a bit more flack because no one really remembers, but Tobias Harris wasn't doing anything either. I don't even think he's the third man on that team, to be honest with you, because you've got Tyrese Maxey, who's had a a fairly good season. Shake Milton on his day can still play really well. We all know about the damage Jalen McDaniels can do on occasion. And look, a really wild take, but I want to see Mac McClung, uh, the slam dunk champion. He he had 30 in the G League championship game yesterday as the the G League team for Philly made that title. But Mac McClung on his good day might be able to beat Tobias Harris. He's, He's quite shrunk in the role. You're right, Tom. Um, I'm looking at our East in conference postseason um, possibilities, and I could have this wrong, but they obviously play the Brooklyn Nets um, in a first round matchup that everybody wanted at the start of the season. And that's kind of changed because Brooklyn's turned over everyone in their roster. Um, is it my understanding correct, or am I wrong, that they, the winner of 3 6 then plays the winner of 4 5, which would be the Cavs and Knicks, or have I got that stuffed up? Uh, that's the other way around. Other so way around. the winner of, yeah, Philadelphia and Brooklyn plays the winner of second v seventh, which is going to be Boston versus Miami or Atlanta. So the Celtics, yeah. So Philly Celtics second round. Okay. So, mm. yep. Can't wait to watch seven games. Of, oh, probably won't even be seven <laughs> games because I feel like you're right, Tom. I think we all know the damage Joel Embiid can do in the, in the postseason and he is a destructive man, but that surrounding cast is going to have to perform at an all-time level. Um, Yuri, we're going to come back to the Cavs. Another team that surprised a lot of people this year was the New York Knicks led by uh, baby Laker, Julius Randle. Um, he hasn't had the best season on that team because I think you could argue that Jalen Brunson's been the star player this season and Emmanuel quickly, um, his emergence as well. Is that more surprising than the Cavs' emergence? Is the New York Knicks playing 500 basketball in New York? I thought they were probably bound for a bounce-back season, Alex, after what happened in the 2021-2022 campaign where a lot of their hopes were banking on Julius Randle to perform night in, night out. And unfortunately, the frustrations got on Randle. And we spoke about this a couple of episodes ago on the New York Knicks. And there was that point during that season, I think it was a March 4 game against Phoenix where – they were up and then Cam Johnson hit the game winner. But it was late in the third term when Phoenix were gaining momentum and unfortunately Randall lost his temper in the way and shoved Cameron Johnson and unfortunately found himself, I'm pretty sure he he got ejected in that game too. And it swung the complete entirety of the momentum and unfortunately that sort of really summed up the Knicks that season alone. But getting Jalen Brunson on that four-year $100 million deal that has been absolutely wonders for Knicks. Having a, another offensive option there, not having so much of the pressure, leaning on Randall to carry it upon his shoulders. Emmanuel quickly, you know, this season has been you know far more consistent as well. We've seen, of course, Quinton Grimes really solidify himself as that defensive stopper for the Knicks, which you know he was drafted for anyway. But to overcome the injuries, they they he has had, shall I say, as well. And Evan Fournier being completely abolished to, you know, non-existent in the rotation now. And 
Mitchell Robinson, yes, he's had his foot foot injuries and all that, but he's, again, the defensive anchor interior presence of him. That is a real crucial cog. And come that first round against the Cavaliers with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and, of course, with you know Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell attacking the paint, he's going to be super valuable down there too. You also have Isaiah Hartenstein as well. He'll probably, you know, feature, you know, predominantly as well as that backup centre to Mitch Robinson come the playoffs too. And Josh Hart's the other one as well. They got from the Portland Trailblazers, the other defensive stopper. So in Another terms baby of Laker, matchup, Josh Hart. Yeah, yes, as well. So how many of those the Lakers have given away is just too many accounts. So I reckon it's going to be a really fascinating series between the two teams. And again, we saw what the Knicks did that opening game. I think it was all the way back in November, I'm pretty sure. The first meeting between the two teams really buckled down on the Cavs, held them just 81 points on that 92-81 win. And again, they also won the season series too, three games to one. So there's a lot of positives there for New York as well. No doubt that Madison Square Garden will be rocking come the playoffs. And same with, you know, in Cleveland too, especially the first time they've made the postseason without LeBron James since 1998. So it really sets up for, you know, a really riveting opening round between two teams, which most, I'd say most pundits in a way, had them really on the up yet again and maybe not as far as the 4-5 seed. But again, both teams have really exceeded expectations and, you know, full kudos to them because, you know, they've had, you know, those lean, you know, last few years and all, especially the Knicks when, of course, before Tom Thibodeau came over, just it was a complete basket case in a way. But once Tibbs came in the summer of 2020 and really instilled, you know, his, you know, usual defensive architectural resumes, it just has completely transformed the team. So, yeah, I can't wait to watch this series when it does come around. There was a really funny moment in the Knicks game today. I don't know if anyone else caught it, but Evan Fournier is bringing the ball up. Knicks down six or seven, I think. And one of the commentators says, as he pulls up four feet below the three-point line, uh, Evan Fournier, he can make that shot, and he clanks it. The commentator goes... Not tonight, but earlier in his career, he could make that <laughs> shot. <laughs> that's a bit. Uh-huh. That's a bit how Evan Fournier has been playing for the last four or five years. But I'm glad to see him getting paid. I wish I could get paid. Look, we're going to move on to the Lakers, um, who have been firing on all cylinders. Very famously started the season two and ten, and now have secured a finish above 500, which is the um, 50% mark for the season. I think they've got their 42nd win today. They're eight and two in their last ten games. Um, haven't necessarily been playing well the last three. Uh, LeBron and AD only combined, I think, for forty points today. LeBron's been struggling. We talked about, um, actually, I can't remember if it's on this podcast or not. But LeBron coming back, and maybe we've got this queued up, and it's why it's in my memory. But he scored three points in the first half of a game earlier this week, and then uh, thirty points in the second half to drag that game against the Utah Jazz into overtime. Um, Austin Reeves averaging 19 points per game over the last 16 games and a really interesting stat I pulled up just for the podcast. So outside of the first month of the season, D'Angelo Russell in both teams for Minnesota and the Lakers is averaging 18 and a half points, six assists and shooting 40% from three. So a really slow start, but you could argue a career year for D'Angelo Russell. They can still scrape into six seed depending on other results uh, today, tomorrow, Monday. The Lakers firing... Who's afraid of the Lakers? Can the Lakers go all the way? I mean, obviously, a healthy AD and healthy LeBron is important, but are we seeing a healthy AD, healthy LeBron? Yeah, I think so, Alex, as well. We know, of course, I think Anthony Davis is featured in 55 games, if I'm not mistaken, this season, out of, you know, close to 82 games. And he basically missed the entire month, I'm pretty sure, of that foot injury in, was it late December? I'm pretty sure I was looking through a few days ago. 
But yet again, LeBron coming back, of course, from his foot injury, which he sustained against Memphis back on March 1st by memory, and having, of course, Austin Reeves in the starting lineup. I think Darvin Ham was looking to, of course, change it up a fair bit because Malik Beasley has basically you know, played off the bench during his time at Minnesota, during Denver as well. So he's used to coming off the bench anyway and giving the Lakers instant production. But what Austin Reeves has done, though, for that Lakers unit is completely you know, giving them a different dimension in, in attacking the basket as well. He's, he talked a lot about you know looking up to Trey Young and James Harden in terms of drawing fouls, and he's done that to such you know, tremendous effect for the Lakers too and getting to the free throw line over basically six times a game. So... Like that's you know been a real bonus for the Lakers and them attacking the basket too, which you know they're really renowned for and generating those free throw opportunities. That's going to hold them you know really good stead come the postseason. I think the other thing as well, this was brought up upon probably a couple of days ago, is that is there similar in terms of the nineteen ninety five Houston Rockets who went on to win the title as the number six seed in the Western Conference and where the Lakers currently are situated because at the moment they hold the tiebreaker over the Golden State. They won three or four games. Of course, they lost all four meetings to Clippers, so that won't count anyway. But the other one is they also beat the Pelicans in the season series. They won three or four games. So they can still finish fifth, I'm pretty sure by memory, because the Clippers play Portland tomorrow and they play Phoenix in the regular season finale. So if the Clippers somehow lose both of those games and the Lakers beat Utah, then they'll be a fifth seed. And that's a real scary pro- proposition. Imagine that again, Phoenix and the Lakers, just like what a couple of years ago in the opening round. And I think the most important thing is that they finally have a team that is constructed well around LeBron and AD, which they haven't had since the bubble. Uh, they have shooters, they got defenders, and they let LeBron and AD do their thing, but also the others can, can, can contribute. I mean, Austin Reeves is going to join the likes of, you know, Kuzma, Caruso, those sort of, you know, cult figure legends who are probably going to get overpaid in their next contract, uh, but good for him. But the thing I've literally gotten written down in my notes here is health. Are they going to stay healthy? I mean, they haven't done it since the bubble. They haven't really shown, I mean, Anthony Davis. I'm afraid if he sneezes, he's going to break his hand. So let's see. And if they do finish seventh and they play the Grizzlies, I mean, the Grizzlies are going to play fast. They're going to play hard. And after that whole Shannon Sharp incident, they're out for blood. So we'll have to see if they actually will do any damage. But I wouldn't want to play it. No, just a reminder to our listeners, LeBron James is aged 38. Um, We've been saying for maybe seven or eight years now, uh, fans around the league, he's got to start slowing down. He's got to start slowing down. He's 38. So um, maybe this is the year where father time comes and collects. Look, there was one other game I wanted to talk about this week that um, for some idiotic reason I decided to watch. I think it was because last uh, week's podcast, we were talking about teams we wanted Victor Wembanyama to end up on. And I want the Spurs. I've I've watched some Spurs basketball in a bit of like a a self-deprecation or almost self-harm kind of way the last few weeks because they haven't been a good basketball team. They played the um, the Portland Trailblazers a couple of days ago in the first ever game in the Moody Center at the University of Texas in Austin. And this was one of the funnest games I've watched all year uh, between two teams with a lot of no-name players. It was so frantic. It was ended up being 129 to 127. Um, I think somebody hit a half-court bomb three after uh, as time expired to bring it that close. But like names like Keita Bates-Diop, Julian Champagne were scoring 25 points for each team. Um, and more importantly, the reason I wanted to bring this game up too is 
this kind of sunk in for the first time that Keldon Johnson has the biggest butt in the NBA. I know Kyle Lowry's got a reputation of having a huge behind, but boys, you need to look into Keldon Johnson. Keldon Johnson is a strong man with a big butt. So I don't know if anyone else watched that game. Portland had 14 blocks too. It was just a crazy defensive scramble in that last um, 15 or so minutes. Drew Eubanks is playing for them. Kevin Knox was the top scorer with 24 points. Like people you've just forgotten about, but a, a very fun game of basketball. Um, and then we'll go into a little quiz I've got for you that's triple-double related, and then we'll move into um, the break and Alex's secret segment. So back on LeBron James, hasn't been playing particularly well since returning from his foot injury. Um, for those of you who may have missed it, he went and saw several doctors and they advised him to get surgery and end of the season, but he saw the LeBron James of feet and decided to come back and make a push in the playoffs. Uh, he had a triple-double. Go ahead. Was, was the Michael Jordan effect not available? Or? Yeah, not, not, not available. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, he had a triple-double against the Rockets on Monday with 18 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, and he became equal fourth all-time for triple-doubles. So this is a pre-Alex's secret segment quiz. I want to see if you guys can name the top 10 players of all time for triple-doubles. Now, I've got it open in front of me so I can give you a couple hints, and I will give you number 10. I'll give you uh, uh, the numbers. So number 10 with most triple doubles all time is Luka Doncic with 56. Between the three of you, do you think you can get spots one through nine? You don't have to get the direct spot, but we we can. Jules is confident. We we know Westbrook and Oscar Robertson, obviously. That's correct. Yeah, Westbrook 198, Robertson um, 181. Jason Kidd um, is now tied with LeBron James at fourth and fifth. So you've got one and two. Um, so number three is still out. Jokic? Yeah, Jokic is 105. So he's two behind LeBron. Would James Harden be on there? Uh, James Harden is eighth at 74 all time. Yes, 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 yes. And then everyone you've missed out is um, from different eras around the NBA, but a couple, like, you should know these guys. Magic Johnson? Magic Johnson is third with 138 all-time, so that leaves two of us. Um, one of them um, played for a couple teams, but uh, a center. Kareem? Not Kareem. Wilt. Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain, yeah. I yes. think he is sixth, sixth or seventh all-time with 78. So you've got one man left. Tom, you're a bit of a Celtics fan. You should know who this guy is. Larry Legend. It is Larry Legend. <laughs> oh, yeah. Larry's got 59. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is, uh, I think it's 12th all-time with 35 triple-doubles. And Ben Simmons, 13th all-time <laughs> at triple-doubles. Unfortunate for him, he'll never get one more and he'll be out of the league next year. So we might take a really quick break and then we're going to come uh, back into Alex's secret segment for a bit more trivia. All right, you are back on the NBA Weekly Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. I have a treat for you guys. Not so much a treat, but we know the uh, scoring explosion in the NBA that's taken place this year. Alex's secret segment this week is a quiz, and it might be a little bit of a hard one. Um, I can always give you hints. I have a list of players in front of me who have scored 50 or more points this season. There's 14 of them, and a couple of them have done it more than one time. I want to see if you guys can guess the 14 players who have scored 50 or more points this season. Uh, Bonus points if you can guess the ones who've scored more than once, but, you know, we're not playing for real money or real points, so it doesn't really (laughs) matter. Uh, We might start with Julian. You got a guess? Donovan Mitchell, definitely. Donovan Mitchell's correct. He had 71. This feels Mm -hmm. like forever ago. 
Tom, we might go you next. Uh, well, Damien Lillard as well with the 71. Yeah, that's correct. He's had, he's had more than one, I'm pretty sure. He's had three. He had a 71-point game, a 60-point game, and a 50-point game. So that's two. Yuri. Anthony Davis had the 55 points against Washington in early December. That's exactly correct. In uh, 4th of December, in my notes, 55 points. Julian, back to you. Um, Steph Curry. I don't know which game it was, but I, I know he hit a 50 somewhere. He hit two of them. He had two 50-point games. He had one in March and uh, one all the way back in November, if you can remember. So nice. how many of you guys got now? One, two, three, four down, 10 to go. Uh, I've got to say, Luca, I think, has got two as well, I think. He's got more than that. He's got four. <laughs> so Luca's got a 60-point game um, and then a couple 50, 51, 53. So he had four of them. Um, I think he's had the most this year. Yuri. Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo had a 55-point game pretty sure against Washington. Yeah, Giannis had um, two 50-point games in January and then um, one in February, like three days after that game. So he's had 55 was his top score. So he's had three. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven left. Drew Holiday? Uh, yes, I was just about to say that. We talked about that last week. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to forget. One of, them's, one of them might be tough. One of them's, like, two of them might be tough. Did we say Embiid yet? No, you haven't said Joel Embiid. He's had three. There you go. And you know he had one earlier this week. Yes. Which um, we haven't talked about yet. I know. Did Booker have one as well? Booker's had two. He had 58 had points uh, in December and 51 in November. Beautiful. So you guys have got um, one, two, three, four, five players left. I know Jason Tatum had one against Charlotte. Yep, he did in January. I'm very impressed with the teams you're recalling. I can't. <laughs> My memory's not this good. All right, I might start giving you very slow hints. So please, um, a guy who spent the last two or four years injured has returned to the starting lineup for his team. He's not the best player on his team. Chris Middleton? No, it's not Chris Middleton. Great guess. Um, this might be the second best shooter of all time. Clay. Clay Clay Thompson, 54 points on the 2nd of January. Was that against Atlanta in that triple overtime win? It could have been. I can't remember if I've included that team in my notes, but um, he went 10 for 21 from three in that game. Trey Young? No, Trey Young. Did did Anthony Edwards have a 50-point game? Uh, No, he did not. Did we say Julius Randle yet? Because he had that game. You, against, there we go. Uh, against Minnesota. Miami. Yeah, Julius Randle. I think that was two weeks ago, that 57-point explosion, 52 in three quarters. So you've got two left. Um, and th- this is probably the two tough ones that I would think of. Um, one of them I know very well, and one of them I have barely watched a lot of basketball from this team. So I'll start with the team I barely watched a lot of basketball with. This guy, um, young player, um, Point guard, shooting guard, mold in the East. He's not the best player on his team, and we've said his teammate already. Any guesses? We're very quiet. Buddy Hield? No, that's an out there guess. He could explode, though. You get he's got the shooting for Yeah. Him. Yeah. First name starts with the letter D. I'm going to have to look up more tricks and stats about him <laughs> to give you more hints without giving it away. <laughs> what? 
Hang on. I'll jump on Stat Muse and I'll look this player up so I can give you some stats for the season so I don't just give it away. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it DeMar? No, it's not DeMar. I, was, I actually thought he had a 50-point game this year and I was surprised he didn't. So just looking up this player on Stat Muse. This player averages 21.6 points a game this year. Terry Rozier? No. Also averages 7.8 assists this year. Darius Garland. <laughs> it is Darius Garland for Cleveland. It's a tough where did, one. Where did he score 50? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we might need to look that up. Julian, you Google that while we try and guess this last one. So I've been very okay. impressed. Now, um, this last know, guy. <laughs> I'm going to look this last guy up on Stat News as well. Just to, I'm preparing to give you more <laughs> tips. All right. This last guy averages um, 24.2 points a game. Seven and a half rebounds, almost six assists. Has played, Pascal Siakam. It is Pascal, spicy P, <laughs> nice. out of the six in Toronto. Well done, guys. You, you got all 14, and only two of them really held you back. But <laughs> uh, Well, that was Alex's secret segment. I always try and do something a little fun or silly for that. we got to get some um, a branded jingle for that. We haven't got one in the can yet. <laughs> all right. So... It was our very last week of the NBA season. We do have a couple games left uh, tomorrow and Monday Australian time. We're just going to kind of disregard them at the moment and talk about our favorite performances of the week. Um, Tom, I know you've been itching to get at one. What was your favorite performance of the week? Yeah. Yeah. So my performance of the week is LeBron versus Utah. Uh, Vintage LeBron performance, really. I mean, besides the first half where he only had three points, as we mentioned in the top of the show, but finished with 37 points, five rebounds, six assists. 52% 52% from the field, six from six out of the line, which I thought was really underrated considering his free throw shooting in the last couple of seasons hasn't been great. He played 38 minutes, which after that foot injury is probably one of his higher minute totals. And he hit that winning shot in overtime where he spun around through the defense and just banked it in. And it's a warning the league. He's coming for the playoffs. So just watch out for him. Jules, have you got a favorite performance of the week? I do. It's a bit of a unique one, actually. And um, I don't know if you boys watched the Pelicans-Grizzlies game. Absolutely. Absolutely. You boys, obviously, NBA fans. But if I was to go to someone and say three players in that starting lineup scored 30-plus points, you would probably bet your house that Ingram was one of them, right? Yeah. (laughs) He was not. He scored 24. So Herb Jones actually scored a career-high 35 points, which is my uh, performance of the week. He had seven rebounds, three assists, and three blocks to accompany it. And a career-high five three-pointers as well. Um, and, yeah, fantastic how they can just – I think the week uh, – the podcast prior to this, I said that the Pelicans can get, generate offense from almost any of those four players, not including Herb Jones. And then he pulls out a 35-point game, which is just – Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming from all angles now. So I really enjoyed watching that game, even though they almost um, blew a, a lead of six points with seven seconds left. They somehow had to win it in overtime. But, geez, Herb Jones was awesome, and it was great to see him being real aggressive and – more confident in his three-point shot, which is actually quite pure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, no, really, really good performance from him. He had a massive one from the corner. Uh, they played the Knicks today in what was a bit of a sloppy game, but um, I try and watch as much Pelicans as I can because they're so fun. The um, Pelicans were like sending two and a half men to Brandon Ingram all game, so he's just kicking up trying to find people. Herb Jones's shot from a corner is so wet and so smooth, and he's, a, he's just a, a menace to society on defense. Well, like I would consider putting him in first-team defense. He's been very good this year. And speaking of, today he actually went seven for seven from the field. Yeah, he did, didn't he? 
I think another 15 points he ended up. Trey Murphy the third also had a really good game for the Pelicans. Another 30 points as well. Jeez, super exciting, the Pelicans. They might be 9-2 and two in their last 11 games. I hope I've got that stat right. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Pelicans should have been my team of the year, but um, obviously a bit of a bad stretch initially <laughs> when Zion got injured. Hey, they said um, they came out with a statement the Pelicans did yesterday saying, Zion Williamson will still be managed and will communicate when we feel like we need to. So um, I wouldn't expect to see him back anytime soon. Yuri, what was your performance of the week? Yeah, so it's not on the shed, Alex, but I was looking through it again this morning. Jaron Jackson's 40-point game in the mm. losing course against the Pelicans. And I think what was really evident as well, he's a great three-point shooter, especially on the trail when the Grizzlies get out of transition. But was his work inside, and especially against Larry Nance Jr. Larry Nance completely got bullied by Jackson in the post. And now something that really stood out for me watching the highlights yet again, Jaron's hook shot was really on song. And unfortunately, Larry's, you know, a good enough defender, but he was completely out-muscled on so many occasions. And once Valentunas came back on, I think... There was a particular play, it was late in overtime, or might have been the fourth quarter actually, and Jaron Jackson had the ball stripped away from him, but JV had so much of an influence on that particular play, and I'm pretty sure it led to a Pelican's bucket. So when JV came back onto the floor, it saw really mitigated Jaron Jackson Jr.'s influence, but apart from that, he was oh, sensational. And so many of the rim run, rim, rim run, oh, Rim, run, rim, rim, yeah, <laughs> yes. Mixing the words up, the you know the run to the rim plays. That was something that really stood out yet again. And again, so many easy points in the paint, and that was something else that really stood out in that game, Alex, as well. The number of times that Memphis just kept pounding the paint, pounding the paint, and the Pelicans were completely lost on that end. And I'm pretty sure the Memphis, you know, game plan and what Coach Willie Green had set out to do was run back as fast as he can in transition to stop those easy points in the paint that Memphis have been so good at. And unfortunately, a message didn't quite stick for, you know, a good two and a half quarters, you'd say, best before Memphis started making a run probably around, what, midway through to third. So, again, they cleaned up all those areas. But, again, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s career, well, season high, well, career high, pretty sure it is, or season high, season high 40 points, shall I say, was something that was, you know, really good and he's had – you know, a very good season. Of course, he missed the first, I think, pretty sure it was the first 20 games, if I'm not mm. mistaken, to start the season as well. That foot injury since his first game back on November 15, and he's been that real catalyst on the defensive end and it's going to be, you know, one of those candidates for defensive play of the year. Yeah, it makes his offensive growth even more impressive knowing that uh, he could be the defensive player of the year this year. Has anyone changed their vote? I think I might have been the only one from us that had him penciled in for defensive player of the year. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Forever hold your piece up. Tom? I I haven't changed my vote, but I do have an interesting stat that was uh, that came out from an article in The Ringer who, so I think it was Michael Pena, yep. didn't even have uh, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s top three for Defensive Player of the Year. And the stat that really interests me was he averages three blocks a game, great, but he only averages 28.4 minutes per game because mm. he can't stay out of foul trouble. Foul trouble. In, uh, in 18 games this season, he's had five fouls or more. Uh, and... Bam Adebayo, not exactly the same kind of player, but uh, he's committed more fouls than him despite playing 800 minutes less. And that just stands out to me because come playoff time, they need him, especially yeah. if Stephen Adams isn't good to go. They Absolutely. need him. I think I could be misremembering too, but I have a feeling he was interviewed on the Low Post podcast and he was saying, um, this is Jaron Jackson Jr., that he needs to focus on not fouling. <laughs> so he's aware <laughs> of that at least. 
So it's something that you hope you can work on. Um, look, there was a lot of really good games this week as well. And feel free to chime in while I cover a, a couple of the performances of the week candidates that we haven't picked. Um, did, I, did I say mine? I didn't even say my performance of the week. Uh, good old Homer pick, the Toronto Raptors. Fred Van Vliet had a 20-point, 20-assist game against the Hornets. Um, it's a franchise record in assists. And if I've got the stat right, he becomes the first player to have both the points and assists record for the same franchise. There's a technicality where I think it's Kevin Durant would have had it, um, but Seattle and Oakley see are different franchises. So, um, yeah, Fred Van Vliet, a guy you wouldn't think would have an assist and a point scoring record for a franchise, but that was a massive game, um, 20 assists. But getting back to some of these other performances of the week, um, Donovan Mitchell had 40 against the Pacers earlier this week and then backed it up with a 43-point game in a win against the Magic. Um, SGA and Kevin Durant had a bit of a duel in Oklahoma. SGA, 39 points. Kevin Durant, 35. Good to see him bounce back from that injury with um, with good. We haven't spoken about the Suns much. Kevin Durant, uh, as an individual, is on a 12-0 stretch. He's won 12 games in a row and eight of those with the Suns. Actually, did they lose today? He didn't they did. Yes, they lost their Lakers today. Yeah. He didn't yeah. play. It doesn't count. No, that's right. <laughs> um, Joel Embiid had 52 in that clutch win against the Celtics, um, as you spoke of, Tom. He was the third center in history to have three 50-point games in a season. Uh, the only other two were Wilt and uh, I've forgotten the third. I'm sure it was probably somebody very important like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, and he also became the second player behind Wilt to have 50 points, 13 rebounds, and six assists on 80% shooting. I think he shot 20 for 25. So that's just how unstoppable Joel Embiid can be against a very good Celtics team. Um, Anthony Edwards had 37 and a loss against Portland, which was the largest loss in betting line history. Um, Zach Levine had 36 points in a win against the Grizzlies. Kyrie Irving had 41 in a loss against the Hawks. Um, the Mavs, I don't think we've touched on, but lost earlier today and they have fallen out of the play in contention. Uh, and Giannis had a 28-point, 11-rebound, 10-assist game um, against the Wizards which also had the chase down block of the year. Now, I don't know if you guys saw this highlight, so I didn't see it in the video packages at the end of that day, but he gets the ball stripped from him. Um, I can't remember if, I can't recall if it was Chris Dunn or somebody else. Um, who does play for the Wizards anymore? It's just, they play no-name players. Well, it, Carl it, Kuzma and they have basically been out with injuries and Bradley Bill and Chris Sporzinga, so it's like a bunch of their second stringers now. Yeah, it's people you haven't heard on in seven or eight years. But he gets stripped um, and he had a little bit of a complaint to the ref. Whoever stripped it from him is, is round down the field in the fast break and you see Giannis sneak from nowhere to just delete this block. Um, it was a very impressive block. And then the Knicks had 107 points from Obi Toppin, Quinton Grime, and Emmanuel quickly against the Pacers. They were the first trio in history to score 30 points each and shoot five threes each and make five threes, excuse me. So again, even though half the team is resting players, I think I saw the words career high from the likes of Sandro Mamukulishvili from the Spurs, who had a really good game yesterday. Um, yeah, there's still some really great performances. Former Milwaukee Buck as well, Sandro. Too. Is he? Yeah, there you yeah, go. I, yeah I, it was on the Milwaukee Bucks roster. So, I'm not that no, deep into the Mamukulishvili law. Like, <laughs> no, he had a very good career at Seton Hall as well, by memory too. So, yeah, no, it's good to see him you know, get more opportunities because sadly he wasn't you know, going to get them in Milwaukee considering how deep the roster is. So, hmm. again, I think it's you know, a really good you know, place for him at San Antonio to really you know, show out his craft. And you know, he's been doing it for you know, the last handful of games for the Spurs. So he's got so much, you know, potential in him and where I think we're only seeing you know the best of what's yet to come from him 
Mm. Now, boys, somehow it's already been 45 minutes. I don't know how time just breezes through. So we might go right to our Mojo ratings. Um, We're going to do a play-in preview for both the Western Conference and Eastern Conference, and uh, that'll be up Monday. So don't worry about if you're looking for us for that. That content's coming to you Monday. Um, Our Mojo ratings, we're on the Mojo Sports Network, and we like to assign a rating to a team that we feel uh, might be a particular way either today or into next week. So, for example, today... I have a feeling the Pelicans might be a 5 out of 10. My, my mojo rating for the Pels is 5. And I say that because they're 9-2 and two in their last 11 games. They're playing very well. But you can see Brandon Ingram's been starting to wear down. Herb Jones and Trey Murphy III have been playing out of their skin. Do they think they can keep that going? They've got a first-round matchup that they'll probably play the Los Angeles Lakers in the first game in a seven versus eight scenario. If it's not the Lakers, it'll be the Clippers who they've beaten this year, Um, but they've still got no timetable return for Zion. So Pelicans, great year, probably feeling about a five out of a 10. Julian, what's your mojo rating for this week? I've gone with the Suns who you touched on before with an eight out of 10. I I like teams that peak at the right time. And I think if they can stay healthy, they're going to do a lot of damage with um, the the big three, even Aiton, if you want to include him in that as well as the big four. Um, and, you know, one word I, I always touch on in the podcast is depth. And I think if you look at some of the players in the second unit, like Craig, Warren, Biombo, Payne and Ross, I mean, they're, they're all players who have been starters in their career at one point. And um, I think they've just got it really right now at the, at the right time. And um, I think, yeah, like you said, they've won so many in a row now with KD and um, him and Booker seem to be working. Paul seems to be playing better. I see them doing really um, a lot of damage in the playoffs. Yuri, your mojo rating. Yeah, so I've got the Bucks nine out of ten, Alex, and for them to clinch home court advantage right throughout the playoffs, that's significant enough in itself. We saw back in twenty nineteen they go on route to sixteen twenty two win season, and unfortunately they fell, you know, two games short of making the NBA finals. And you know, for the past two seasons they finished third, especially that drought breaking championship back in 2021 the first championship in 50 years and last season as well they finished third in the eastern conference i think the other thing though last season alex too was they probably should have finished as the second seed but decided mm. to arrest a few players especially in that blowout loss to cleveland in the regular season finale and when you look back in hindsight now it really came back to bite them because boston had home court advantage from games one to one one and two should i say and although milwaukee did beat them in game one the Celtics bounced back, and when it came to, of course, Game 7, that mm. ended up being so pivotal with Boston completely blowing the Bucks out of the water. So for Milwaukee to clinch that top seed and have home court advantage right throughout the playoffs, that's significant enough in itself. And that's, you know, again, a big tick because there was that point, I think it was about 40 games in, if I'm not mistaken, during the season where Milwaukee did hit a bit of a, you know, a rough patch at that stage. But then, of course, what they were able to conjure up with, what, 20 wins in their you know, 21 contests and completely just, you know, pull themselves ahead of the pack in the Eastern Conference to eventually, you know, clinch the, you know, home court advantage and also to clinch basically why they're going to be probably most likely finish, what, 58 and 24 because they're going to rest their starters yet again because they played Toronto in the regular season finale. It's still, you know, a massive achievement on self. And, you know, at times Coach Mike Budenholzer does, you know, cop a fair bit of flack too, but, you know, when it needs to get done, he always seems to, you know, come up with the right strategies in itself to really get the team, you know, sinking along. And we've seen that this season, Joe Ingles coming back from that torn ACL, being, you know, another secondary ball handler. He's been good, really, yeah. You know, 
Yeah, been absolutely magnificent. I think if I wasn't mistaken too, Pat Connaughton's minutes went down, which I was really surprised about actually because that guy, when he's hitting his threes and his defense too and his rebounding for a guy who is stat- who stands at six foot five, that is a real another significant part of the Bucks getting out of transition when he secures, you know, seven, eight rebounds a game. And again, the list goes on on the Bucks team. Javon Carter as well. He's, I remember when Drew was out for, it was only a, a short period in November and they were playing against OKC and he went ballistic, even though, although he was in a loss, I'm pretty sure he scored 36 points, which I'm pretty sure is still a career high of his. And he hit about, I think, six or seven three-pointers that night. So again, his pesky defense alone and three-point shooting and, that's what the Bucks have, and we saw that during, you know, the championship year and also during the 2019 playoffs. I'm pretty sure that 2019 postseason against Boston where we just completely, absolutely ran the Celtics out of the gym and when Kyrie Irving, who was in his final season at the time, couldn't hit a ball through the ocean at that point. I think he shot about, what, 31 32% that entire series because of the hounding defense that Milwaukee instilled on him. So, again, tracking back to the Bucks this season, Another, you know, big tick yet again, and who knows what might happen come this postseason, but they're, you know, in really good shape. And, you know, Chris Middleton, I know, of course, he missed the last game with that, you know, hopefully the knee injury or knee soreness isn't too serious yet again, mm. but they're really clicking on all cylinders, Alex. Tom, take us home with your mojo rating for the week. Uh, so I've gone with the Minnesota Timberwolves with a 3 out of 10, which I think is very generous. Uh, they lost to the tanking Blazers, as you touched on before when they needed the win, which was the largest uh, loss in gambling line history. Uh, Anthony Edwards is their only positive. He looks solid to an extent, uh, but I still don't think he's going to be enough in the postseason. And you look to the future, they owe Rudy Gobert $41 million next year, Carl Anthony Tan, Towns $36 million, Mike Conley $24 million, and they got to get Anthony Edwards' extension too. I don't know where this team goes, even if they, they, will, they will make the play in. As confirmed today, but are they going to make the playoffs? Who knows? And if they don't, what do they even do? Yeah, tough spot to be in many if they don't win their next couple of games. Look, that's it for the Mojo Sports Network, the NBA Weekly Recap Show. Uh, we'll be back with you uh, hopefully Monday right after the final games of the season with a uh, play-in tournament preview. We'll get to all the games. Tom, uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, just on the roar again. Uh, no articles this week, but hopefully the week after, get a bit of a playoff preview going or something like that. Lovely. Yuri, where can we find you? So you can find all my work at zerohanger.com.au, and I have got a piece coming up, which will be published early next week, looking at Melbourne Footy Club 10 years on from the wilderness. That was of 2013, that fateful night against Essendon on April 6th, all the way through to winning the premiership and whether it could be you know, a potential dynasty in the making. Lovely. Julian? Anything for you to plug? Uh, I dropped down 2,000 spots in AFL Fantasy, so I'm, I'm, losing, <laughs> I'm losing a bit of sleep. But don't worry, we, we just research harder and we'll be back. Drop any further and we'll kick you off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my name's Alexander J. You can find me at Beeble Bites, a three-minute daily NBA podcast. Uh, we'll see you back here uh, in a couple of days' time, not in a full week, but thank you very much for joining us. I edit the show and our show is executive produced by Ben McQueen. We're a podcast on the Mojo Sports Network. If you've made it this far, give us a rate or tell a friend about our podcast. Guys, say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, guys. See you later. Thanks, Alex.